Hey, today, as uh, Mike said, we are in part two of a series we've been looking at called You Asked For It. And um, really, you can only blame yourselves for the topics we're speaking on because you really did ask for it. Like, we legit are speaking on the topics that you have asked for. We put out a number of ways that you were able to um, submit questions, and we got many, many, many questions in, and they varied in, the, um, in, in what they were about. And to be honest, there were too many questions for us to answer. I wish we could answer everybody's questions, but we just can't. Um, and so we've chosen some of them that were asked multiple times. And the question that I am going to be answering today, actually there's been a small introduction to my question during the crunchy time. Uh, the question that I'm going to be answering today is probably uh, one of the weightiest questions we've ever answered in church. Uh, this message is one of the hardest, most difficult and weightiest messages I've not only prepared, but had to preach. And I don't know if you felt the same way last week with the euthanasia message, Mike. Um, but as you can un probably understand with, the, um, with what is happening in our government at the moment, we have had a number of, a question, of questions about in the area of abortion. Um, so with the first reading of the bill to change the abortion law in New Zealand happening, it was a topic that came up numerous times. And uh, there were questions like, what should we as Christians believe? What do you think God believes? What does the Bible say about abortion? And how should we as Christians respond to this issue? And I'm going to attempt, uh, with your prayers, to answer some of those questions today. Uh, but before I start the message, I want to begin by letting you know that I am in no way an expert on this issue. Absolutely not. I have read and I have done the research. I have read medical articles. I have read research articles. I have watched numerous TED Talks and YouTube clips coming from different angles. I've looked at it from both sides and I have leaned on the wisdom of my mum who was a pregnancy counsellor through the uh, crisis pregnancy line for 20 years as I was growing up. Uh, I will, I, I've sat and listened to stories of women who have walked the journey of having a termination. I have, um, I won't be able to do this topic justice in the 25 or so minutes that I have with you today. And I in no way am going to have all the answers. In fact, you may walk out of this place having more questions after uh, I have finished. As a church, I also want to let you know that we wouldn't normally voice our opinions on all the different bills going through our parliament. But on behalf, and standing here, it's from the leadership of this church, and I know this is Pastor Luke and Marilyn's heart as well, and Mike and Liz, is that when this is an issue of life or death, we think that as a church we have a responsibility to have a voice into it. I also want to let you know that my heart for this message is that I would bring it with grace. It's been my prayer as I have researched and as I've prepared and as I've led into this morning's session that no one at all would in any way feel condemned or judged or shamed. That is not my heart in any way. I understand that in a room this size, there will be a number of women who have walked through the journey of having a termination. And I also understand that in a room this size, there are going to be a number of men who have had to journey this with their partners who have had an abortion. I understand that this topic is complex. It is incredibly complicated. I understand that with it, for many people, this also carries a whole lot of pain. 
And I understand that everyone has a story and every story is worth listening to. And I understand that unless you have had to journey through and walk this pathway, you may never understand what it's like to have to sit in that seat and make that decision. And we want you to know today, on behalf of the leadership of this church, and I know many, many, many people sitting in this room, that we love you, that God loves you, and that his heart is for you. I am simply a woman. I am a mother. But more importantly, perhaps on the platform that I stand today, I am a Christian. And I am doing what I'd imagine you all are attempting to do in this society, and that is to simply attempt to both stand firm and love well in the culture of compromise that we live in. And so before I start, I think we should probably pray. It's a good idea in, in this circumstance. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you that your presence is here. You are with us in this room. And God, I lift up this discussion to to you today, and I pray that you would give us all a picture of your heart for this topic. We ask for your love, your understanding, and your wisdom to shine through and be evident. Lord, help me to communicate today with both grace and truth. We need you, Jesus. We need you in this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in order to bring everyone onto the same page, I don't know how much everybody knows about the bill that's going through our parliament at the moment, but I thought a good place to start would be just to make sure everybody has the same understanding. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of information as I have come to understand it about what is happening in our parliament currently. Uh, There was a bill presented to parliament last month that looks at amending the law to decriminalise abortion in New Zealand. It was first introduced to Parliament on the 5th of August and it passed its first reading on the 8th of August and it is currently sitting with the Select Committee. And I understand, and as you heard this morning, that this is the opportunity now for people to make submissions. And I understand we have to make them before the 20th of September. And look, I would encourage you to do so. And maybe some of what's spoken about today can help you formulate your submission. Uh, The government has proposed a policy shift to treat abortion as a health issue rather than a criminal issue. This would involve removing criminal criminal offences regarding abortion and treating abortion like any other health service, which are governed by general health laws and, um, and professional guidance. I think what we need to take note of here, though, is that under the current law, it is a crime to perform an abortion unlawfully. And under the current law, it is a crime to supply the means, so drugs or instruments, for performing an abortion unlawfully. Women, though, are explicitly exempt from liability, meaning a woman cannot be criminally charged for having an abortion under the Crimes Act of 1961. Importantly, since 1977, when the when the current law was enacted, the Ministry of um, Justice has no record of any woman ever having been convicted for receiving an unlawful abortion. 
Now, the focus for this policy shift is entirely on the well-being of the woman seeking the abortion. The government seeks to remove the element of censure that the, the criminal law entails to make abortions A, more accessible, and B, with fewer delays. Now, under the current law, as it stands right now, an unborn child is afforded some recognition. And while it's minimal, the unborn child at the moment does have some legal protection. In contrast to this, what the new bill proposes to do, which is to treat abortion as a health issue would rem and remove it from the Crimes Act, gives the unborn child the same status as any other part of your body, any other organ. It would be treating it like your tonsils or um, your gallbladder or your appendix. It's simply tissue that is being removed as part of a health procedure. So what would this mean in terms of what would the new abortion law permit? Well, up to 20 weeks, uh, an abortion is permitted for no reason, for any reason, with no test. Uh, abortions would be available with no restrictions and no statutory criteria. After the 20-week mark, there is testing, but it is broad. And it, an abortion would be available if only one practitioner, usually the person who is um, going to be performing the abortion, uh, deems it reasonable based on the woman's mental health and well-being for um, the abortion to take place. There is a whole lot more to this issue, and I can't cover any of it. There is a lot more to be said about what that might mean and some of the repercussions of some of the things that are in the bill. There's a bunch more. And I can't talk on all of that today, but I would encourage you to go and have a look yourself. Um, there is a website, and um, it's going to be coming up a little later on, but the Family First website is brilliant. Um, they are running a campaign at the moment called Love Them Both. And I found it, listen, I am not very good at political stuff. Like, I got a C in uh, politics when I was studying at university. But I could understand this. <laughs> I could understand the way that this website put it. And so I would encourage you to go and have a look, have a read up yourself on their campaign. So if we were to look at statistics of abortion rates in New Zealand, uh, which I think is good for us to take a look at so we can actually see what's happening in our nation on this issue. Um, for 2018, these are the statistics, 13,280. 82 induced abortions were performed in New Zealand in 2018. 52% of those abortions were for women aged in their 20s, but 38% of all abortions were women aged in their 30s or over. Um, the median age for a woman having an abortion in New Zealand was 27 years and 7 months. 60% of those abortions were performed in the 10th week of pregnancy and 19% 19% of all known pregnancies that stillbirths, live births and abortions ended in abortion, 19%. And I think what struck me as I looked into those statistics, I've just um, summarised them for you here today, but as I looked into the statistics on this topic, I think what struck me was that there is a stereotype around that I think is still quite common today, that an abortion is something that most like uh, teenage girls get right? And I think when a lot of people think on abortion, uh, they would perceive it as, as being something that you envisage it as a teenager relying on it as a form of contraception. 
But what the statistics tell us and the research tells us is that is actually not the case for the for uh, most of the women receiving an abortion. About one in four Kiwi women ha go down the road of having a termination, which means that probably every single one of us would know someone who has had one. And if we don't know, then it's likely that they just haven't been able to tell us that they've had one. And what I learnt from um, all of this is that there are so many different reasons there are so many different stories. There are so many different complex issues involved in someone making the decision to go down the road of termination. Yes, too young and not being ready is one of them. But not wanting to disrupt study or career is another. Having a partner who doesn't want a child. Being in a relationship that's violent or unhealthy. Uh, not being in a relationship at all, so being alone. Uh, uh, having a pregnancy um, as a result of an affair, financial reasons, so somebody may uh, can't afford it, they don't want to have any more children, they've got children already, pregnancy through an act of sexual violence such as rape, complications and deformities with baby, or health complications with the woman, or there's also accidental pregnancy in the postpartum stages of a prior pregnancy, and in most of the cases, most of the cases, it was quite clear that women felt like there was no other option, no other choice. And I have to admit, I have to admit that as I looked through all of this, it actually takes you on a bit of a roller coaster journey, an emotional roller coaster journey, because as you sit and you listen to people's stories or you read people's stories, there are some circumstances, some of the extreme circumstances where you can feel empathy toward them. And you can sit there and go, I am so sorry that you had to make that decision. That must have been incredibly difficult. And I found myself with empathy toward some of these circumstances and these situations when there were some extreme cases. But we have to understand that this discussion that's going on in our nation at the moment is not just about the extreme cases. The discussion that's happening right now is looking to change the law for all cases. And we have to keep that into consideration when we are looking at this issue. So where as Christians should we sit on this? What should we believe? What should we think? Now, we live in a society today where everyone has a platform to speak their opinion, right? It's like everyone right now on social media, it affords everybody the chance to have a microphone in their hand. I mean, you go online and you go to Twitter or you go to Facebook or you go to Instagram and everybody is voicing what it is that they think about any number of different issues that are going on in our world today, whether it's legalizing marijuana, whether it's the abortion issue, whether it's um, LGBT, whether it's what Israel Folau is doing on his Instagram page, whether it's global warming and whether it's real, whether it's if we should eat bacon or not. There are so many different issues and there are so many different voices on this issues. It's like as a society, we have become obsessed with comments and shares and reshares and tweets and retweets and likes and posts and all sorts of these things. And we seem to now be in a world whereby whoever has the loudest who can defend their view the loudest, wins. And as I sat down, as I sat down and I sat at my dinner table 
a few weeks ago to prepare this message and look into it, I sat there with paper scrawled on everywhere and I sat there with all sorts of different things and screens open looking at all sorts of different angles and views on the topic and I sat there with different people's opinions on it and it struck me in that moment. And what I came to understand was that it really doesn't matter what the person who's doing a talk as a TED talk thinks. And it really doesn't matter what my favorite celebrity thinks. And look, let's be honest, while you might be interested today, it really doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what God thinks. If I am a Christian today, and, and, and if I am trying and attempting and doing my best to love him and serve him and know him more, then it 100% matters what he thinks. And the only way we can know what God thinks on issues like this is to look to the word that he gave us. The only way we can find out is to look to the word of God. He has given us the Bible. He has given us his word to help us as Christians form our views and opinions on issues and topics and circumstances like this. So I need to rephrase the question, not what do Christians think, but what does the Bible say? What does God think about this topic? And listen, look, I looked in the Bible and there's actually no place in the Bible where the Bible says the word abortion. Well, that was very unhelpful, wasn't it, when I was doing my research? There is no place in the Bible where the Bible uses the word abortion. And yet the Bible has a lot to say about life. And there are many different verses and there are many different places in Scripture that we can look to that emphasize that God is the giver of life and that both the born and the unborn are very precious to him. And there are many places we can go to in Scripture where the Bible does talk about stuff that helps us shape our view on this issue. So that is what I would like to present to you today. And there's some notes there. There's some scriptures that I'm going to be going through. So it would help you to have those notes on hand. The first thing that I want to tell you today about this topic is that God is the giver of life. God is the giver of life. God took the dark and formless nothingness and made all things, including man, from dust, God created the first man. In Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. I always find it funny that the Bible uses the word nostrils. <laughs> breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. From nothing, he gave humanity life. Life cannot happen without the power and the breath of God, breathing it into existence. Isaiah 42 verse 5 says, This is what God the Lord says, The creator of heavens who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. Now the most significant debate that's out there on this topic is the question of where does life begin? Is the unborn child fully human or is it tissue? It cannot be both. So when does human existence begin? Well, science tells us that from day one, from fertilization, that every human chromosome 
is present for life to begin. It also tells us that at 19 days, a heart starts to beat, and the baby has its own blood type, often different from the mother carrying it. By the end of week three, the baby's backbone, spinal column, and nervous systems have begun to develop. The liver, kidneys, and intestines are beginning to take shape. All of this, in most cases, before a pregnancy is even discovered. Now, because the Bible so clearly shows that God is the giver of life, I can only conclude that he is for life. He is for life. Number two, number one is God is the giver of life. Number two is all life is precious to and known by God. All life is precious to and known by God. On the sixth day of creation, God's last act in creation was to create mankind, to create humankind. He made man in his image, not to resemble any other creature that he'd created before, which I don't know about you, but I am thankful for that, that we are not created to resemble any other animal or creature roaming the earth today. We are created to reflect the image of our creator. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, Bible scholars translate that phrase, created in his own image, as created as his image. Which tells me that it's, it's not just a like something. It's not just that he's created us to um, kind of resemble slightly something. He's literally created us to resemble him in every single way. To, that we would be, as his people, a representation of who he is on earth. And that in itself carries with it incredible value to him, that every person is created precious in his image, and that every person carries value because they are part of him, and he is part of them. Scripture also contends that life begins before birth, and it refers to the born and unborn often interchangeably. Uh, for example, in, in Jeremiah, God reassures Jeremiah that he is planned for, that he is purposed, that he is important, that he is valued. Um, Jeremiah is a prophet, and God shows him his importance by showing him that he knew him before he was born, that God knew him in his fully human state before he was born. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. King David wrote about it as well. He knew in his writings that God knew him before he was born. In Psalm 139, verse 13 and 16, it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. Now, because the Bible so clearly shows that all life is precious to and known by God, I can only conclude myself that God is for life. He is for life. 
The third thing I, I want to speak to today is something that I think is incredibly important for us to understand on this topic, and that is that God's heart is toward the vulnerable. God's heart is toward the vulnerable. The Bible is chock full of passages that reveal God's heart for those in need and those who are vulnerable. I've listed only a few today, but there are like truckloads more that could be looked at. In Psalm 82 verse 3, it says, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Proverbs 31 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all those who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Isaiah 1 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. Now, it would seem to me that the unborn child is the most vulnerable of all humankind, the most vulnerable of all, and they are the ones that need our protection the most. They are the ones who have no voice. They are the ones who need someone to speak on their behalf. Now, because the Bible speaks so much about God's heart toward the most vulnerable, I can only conclude that when it comes to the most vulnerable, he is for life. He is for life. So, as Christians, and look, it's okay if we disagree today. The only position as a Christian that I can take on this topic with good conscience is to also be for life. Now, some of you may sit here and say, well, that must mean you're anti-choice. Well, no, I wouldn't say that either. I'm for choice as well. In fact, God gave us free will. That's another way of saying he gave us a choice. And I'm a woman too, so I really value the fact that I can make choices about my own body in, in the number of different ways that, that, that might um, come about and in, in the various different ways that that might apply. It's just that some choices affect others. And we teach this to our children, don't we, as they grow up and as they mature and as we're trying to teach them how to be good people in the world, we teach them that everything they do has an effect on those around them. And I just think this is one of those things that has an almighty effect on another. I am for both. I am for both. I'm for the, both for the well-being of the mother and the well-being of the unborn child. And I am for looking for ways that we can support, care for, and commit to adding structure to our legislation that gives women the support she feels like she doesn't have so that it doesn't feel like termination is her only option. So how are we to respond to this issue when in the lunchroom at work or when in your university lecture and this topic comes up when a question is raised, which I have no doubt if it hasn't already, it is, it is going to, as the political spotlight shines very brightly on this issue. How do we respond? How are we to engage? Well, number four, and I think this is probably one of the most important things you and I can walk away with today, we respond with a full measure of both grace and truth a full measure of both grace and truth. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me now. 
You know, sometimes as a Christian, we are faced with a culture of compromise and we can struggle to know how to both love well and stand firm in those circumstances. See, so often we weight ourselves one way or the other. We either go weighted fully on the side of grace and we give, give, give grace, 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 and we're so weighted on the side of grace that we kind of end up with a floppy fish Christianity and anything goes Christianity and we end up compromising on everything we believe and everything we should be standing for. And then in another circumstance, we can weigh so far on the side of truth that instead of drawing people to the love of God, we end up like sitting on a high horse and kicking them away, shooing them away from our self-righteous position. But Jesus modeled to us how we can do this thing well. In the Gospel of John, John describes Jesus like this. He says, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he repeats the same phrase again in verse 17. It says, "From the law was given, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John was saying a full, full of grace and truth. He wasn't saying we need to have a little bit of grace and a little bit of truth. He was talking about the full embodiment of both. Jesus did not come to strike a balance between the two. He came to bring the full measure of both. Chris Hodges, who is the author of a book called The Daniel Dilemma, which I would actually encourage you to read. It speaks on not necessarily this topic, although it actually does mention it, but it speaks on what it means to be a Christian who can stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And he says this, he says, truth without grace, well, that's mean. But grace without truth is meaningless. We have to have a full measure of both. I, I wanna put a slide up now um, with a couple of um, places that I would encourage you to go and take a look at. There's the website that I mentioned initially, um, familyfirst.org.nz with the campaign called Love Them Both and I would encourage you to go and check that out. The second website that I've got up there is Pregnancy Counselling Services, uh, pregnancycounselling.org.nz and there's also a 24-hour crisis line. I would encourage you, even if this is not an issue that you are facing or have faced firsthand, to make note of that website because not only are we as Christians called to have a voice in this topic but we are also called to walk graciously and lovingly with those who are journeying through it and that might be a resource that will help someone else in your world because look one in four we're likely to bump into someone who needs it and my mum was a pregnancy counsellor on that very number for 20 years and morning or night morning or night she would sit on the phone with desperate women letting them know that there was help and support for them so I want to encourage you um, if you are in need or if you want to just take that down so that you're equipped to help someone else I really encourage you to do that now
You might be sitting in this room having walked this journey firsthand. You might be sitting in this room having felt there was no other choice but to make the decision to have an abortion. And my prayer is that you have not felt shamed in any way throughout this service. That is not my heart. But you may be feeling a feeling of a deep sense of regret. And you may be feeling a a deep sense of loss or grief. Can I tell you today that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not just for life. He is for you. And he sees you. And he knows your story from beginning to end. And he knows all the complexities of it. And he offers us all. He offers us all forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, but full restoration. And often we feel like when something is broken, it can be really hard to see how it can be made right again. Or how it can ever feel okay again. Can I tell you today that our God has a way of working things out in you and through you that brings something quite beautiful out of unexpected places. God can still, wants to, and I 100% believe with all my heart will use you to create something miraculous out of the difficult circumstance you find yourself in. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Our God is a God who is into restoration. He is into renewed relationships. And he's not just into life, he's into new life. He's into life again. And I just want to ask everybody in the room, if you could bow your head and close your eyes. I want to give you an opportunity before I hand back over to Shane. I want to give everybody an opportunity in this room to make a decision in your life today. And listen, every single one of us has fallen short. There is not one perfect person sitting in the room today. Every single one of us has fallen short. We have all messed up. We've all gone our own way. We've all decided that our way was better than God's way. But in His grace, He sent His Son, Jesus, to take upon Himself what we deserved, not so that we could live a life of judgment and condemnation, but so that we could live a life of fullness and grace with a hope and a future. And I'm going to invite you today, if you're sitting in this room and you're saying, Bex, I need a new life I've messed up my current one I need a new life well I'm going to pray a prayer and in just a moment I'm going to ask you I'm going to pray it out loud you can pray it in your heart all you have to do is pray it along with me make it your own and mean it with everything that you've got we say dear Jesus thank you that you went to the cross for me 
thank you that you forgive me today. I turn my life to you. I want to have a brand new start. I want to start a journey with you today. I give my life and surrender to you now. Thank you that you have given me a hope and a future. In Jesus' name.